0: Welcome to the Travelin' On Radio Show,
1: your premier source for travel news and information. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, the Travelin' On Radio Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Traveling On Radio Show, the show that celebrates responsible travel, culture, and heritage. We're your host, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're coming to you from our studio right outside of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Today's broadcast marks the beginning of our transition to our new name, World Footprints, and we're excited that you're going to take this purposeful journey with us.
2: As Tanya mentioned, we will be transitioning to a new name, but our programming will remain the same and will continue to share our mission of creating purposeful travel experiences. Starting with today, the U.S. State Department recently launched a new cultural exchange program called Dance Motion USA, and we will introduce you to Jana Lasort, executive director of Urban Bushwomen, one of the dance companies selected to inaugurate this remarkable program. Then get ready for a real treat, no pun intended, as we introduce you to Kat Cora, the first and only female Iron Chef. Kat will join us to talk about the philanthropic efforts that her foundation, Chefs for Humanity, is involved with, including their newly launched campaign for Haiti called One Million in One Month. Now that the Olympic Games have concluded, the world will now turn its attention to South Africa as that country prepares to host the 2010 World Cup. We will be joined by one of our newest partners, Dr. Tommy Clark, Executive Director of Grassroots Soccer, a nonprofit organization that uses the power of soccer to help curb the spread of HIV. Although our domain will be changing soon, we will still be able to welcome your comments and questions at comments at travelinradio.com.
1: In the coming weeks, traveling on will undergo a transition and will soon be known as World Footprints. Our change to World Footprints is really an acknowledgement of our celebration of responsible travel, culture, and heritage. The name World Footprints communicates our values of sustainability, global citizenship, and travel philanthropy and volunteerism and we're excited that you'll be joining us on our journey to leave positive footprints and build positive legacies one step at a time so stay tuned for news of many good things to come Jana lasort is the executive director of urban bush women a phenomenal dance company based in new york city Urban Bushwomen is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, and the company was hand-picked as one of three dance companies chosen to inaugurate the State Department's Dance Cultural Exchange Program called Dance Motion USA. As part of this cultural exchange program, Urban Bushwomen will travel to three countries in South America, and Jana joins us to talk about the upcoming tour and the company's mission to use the art of dance to create community. Welcome, my friend.
0: Well, hello, Tanya. It's so great to join you.
1: Well, we're we're happy to have you, and congratulations on the 25th anniversary of Urban Bushwomen. I mean, what a present, really, to be selected by the State Department to inaugurate this cultural exchange program.
0: Yes. No, uh, the, the year of our 25th really began in 2009, and there were so many great things that happened last year, uh, from... Jawole, our founder, being named a Guggenheim Fellow, to being invited to the White House for a, a meeting of grassroots leaders using innovative tools to build communities such as we do, and, of course, capped off with our selection to inaugurate Dance Motion USA.
1: Well, you know, if you're like me, I celebrate my birthday the entire year. So, <laughs> Urban Bushwoman has has uh, has permission to do that. <laughs> well,
0: thank you. We've taken it. Yes. Yeah.
1: And you know what, what? What I find very extraordinary is that in this economy, it really is unusual to celebrate uh, a milestone like a 25th anniversary of any art organization what was the genesis uh, behind Urban Bushwomen, and, and what do you attribute to its long-term success?
0: Well, I think that Jalilay, when she founded the company in 1984, she really saw a need for a community-driven process. And what we mean by that is bringing in the stories of community, uh, the undertold stories, largely, of people representing the African diaspora from the African diaspora. And, ba- you know, And basing the company in Brooklyn, which is such a strong community uh, of those from the African diaspora, she really was able to tap into that energy and to the heritage and traditions and and strength of of that community, and bring in people to our art making, um, either by just virtue of of knowing their stories and integrating them into the the dance, um, and sometimes even featuring them. Uh, One of our very popular uh, repertory pieces is Hair Stories, and Hair Stories is really about the trials and tribulations of getting your hair to to do what you want it to do,
3: mm-hmm. and
0: it's really funny and lively and represents you know, the power and struggle and joy of being uh, women, and uh, particularly black women, and you know it just really captures I think Jowle's personal method of uh, using using. Light-hearted stories and really poignant stories to kind of get at the bittersweet joy of survival.
1: Now, I'm just curious: was uh, was uh, uh, uh was she the inspiration behind the Chris Rock movie Good Hair?
0: <laughs> we we like to think so. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We were doing hair stories long before Chris did his. Mm. <laughs>
2: Now, uh, Jana, one of the things about the troupe is that uh, obviously dance is a focus, but you're also about creating community, too. Talk to us about that two-fold mission.
0: Right. So our mission in a nutshell is create dance and create community. And uh, on the dance side, you know, we, we create that art. And on the community side, uh, one of the reasons Jowley was invited to the White House meeting was because she has really innovated a process that we do each summer called the Summer Leadership Institute and it, since, it's been based in Brooklyn but in 2009 we moved it to New Orleans at the request of uh, New Orleans residents who wanted us to bring uh, the Summer Leadership Institute there to really help connect the artist community. Uh, what we do at the Leadership Institute is use the art of dance and and the skills of the arts to focus on community issues and to address social justice issues. So... On create community, we are really trying to mobilize people uh, artists in particular and arts activists and people who are arts minded to realize that their ability to to think in new ways is really critical and important to driving the process of improving community to addressing social justice issues you know like racism or um, women's inequality, um, or as we're doing in New Orleans, food justice. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue of, you know, the simple issue of access to good food. And what does that mean to a community, not having that access? How does that affect a community mentally and physically, um, especially one such as New Orleans that is still struggling to, to recover?
2: Now, it's, it's interesting how you meld the social activism with uh, the yard uh, to some that may seem somewhat unusual, but uh, you it seems as though you're carrying a very strong message uh, to to those who would who would come and see dance about greater social responsibilities
0: yeah, absolutely, I think you know Jo sees artists and, and we all do as very unique. Uh, Voices for change. Uh, they, you know, artists are not held to a uh, political mandate. You know, say uh, like a politician is. Um, and artists, by virtue of what they do, are about expression. They're about tapping into the feelings of themselves and and of a community, and expressing those feelings and those needs. So, it just I think seems right that uh, artists really, if we look at you know history. I mean, even if you're looking at Martin Luther King or you're looking at Obama, um, you know, uh, it's quite unusual and interesting to have uh, President Obama uh, in office right now because he certainly sees the values of of artists. And frankly, I consider himself to be one. You know, with his writings, um, whether it was his poetry in the early days or or the books that he's written. So mm-hmm. I think that all of us can be artists because we have those voices and that creative means, but um, the people who are doing it for a living, are, uh, such as Jowle and her Bushwomen, were, uh, we're trying to inspire everyone to realize that they can tap into that.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk about uh, this up- upcoming tour in South America. Um, what is planned? Where will you be going, and, and what are some of the, the messages through the, your performances that you'll be communicating on tour?
0: Well, one of the reasons we were chosen is because of our of, of our role in community. Uh, we, The State Department and BAM, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, which is administering the program, really saw us as a cultural diplomat um, in terms of how we've used the arts to create community. And we're very excited to be able to take what we do um, on the stage and off the stage to South America. We're headed to Brazil, Colombia, and Venezuela, and uh, we'll visit Cali and Cartagena, in uh, Colombia and we'll go to Caracas in Venezuela and uh, we'll end the tour actually in Brazil uh, visiting Sao Paulo and Brasilia. And in each of those cities we will certainly perform, um, but we'll also engage with students um, in classes and workshops and uh, conversations. Our uh, technical and lighting director, Susan, will actually give a lighting workshop, which uh, the students in Caracas are very excited about.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, and we'll also, you know, be able to interact uh, in a social realm and talk about our country and the values of America and certainly um, be honest and forthright about uh, some of the issues that America has grappled with, such as racism. For instance, uh, Colombia, we just returned from Washington, D.C. yesterday, Tanya, <laughs> briefing at the State Department, and it was uh, very eye opening. And we were thrilled to be told by the desk agent for Colombia that uh, the United States and Colombia just agreed to uh, a racial action plan.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, for Colombia to address uh, the issues of the, the Afro American, well, the African derived people of Colombia. And looking at the African American people in the United States, and seeing what are some of the similarities here, how you know how can we take some of the best learning and um, apply it to what's happening in Colombia?
1: Now, um, following this this tour, how will um, knowing that this is a cultural exchange? How will the relationships that you develop over there be continually cultivated? I mean, what, what are the plans? What are the State Department's goals? What are your goals as as a company?
0: Well, we're also excited because there is a website that I encourage everyone listening to visit and to uh, track our journey. DanceMotionUSA.org is the website. And uh, we will be blogging on that site and posting photos and sharing stories of what's happening with us in these cities so that's part of the process um, to to begin the relationships and and share what's happening in, in terms of the cultural exchange we you know we don't know and won't know for quite some time what wonderful things will uh, come of this, for instance, you know in terms of visiting the cities and and meeting some of the dance groups and working with some of the dance students, it's very possible that um, our interaction with with those people will uh, affect some of our work uh, we're quite excited for instance in Venezuela and Caracas will be at two universities uh, and we'll have local companies opening for us um, one company um, really focuses on folklore uh, dances of, one, of, of Venezuela we, we haven't seen those so how could that for instance you know provoke some ideas for Jalile in terms of looking at uh, the choreography she wants to do could that introduce a new movement for us so that's the artistic side. On the on the relationship side, I'm sure that we're going to uh, forge some really powerful new relationships. We've been to Brazil before, but never anywhere else in South America. Um, it's quite likely, and we're hopeful, that we'll be invited back for performances uh, throughout the, the countries um, and begin artistic consulting relationships where... Mm-hmm. Jowle and, and myself um, and others, we can kind of begin these email relationships and, and uh, keep on learning. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, in addition to the South American tour that you've spoken about, uh, Urban Bushwoman is planning to tour Europe uh, this spring. Talk to us about uh, about some of the places that uh, the troupe will will go this spring.
0: Yes, we are quite busy this. <laughs> In the first six months of this you year.
2: You globetrotters. Um, yeah. We, <laughs>
0: so after we get back from uh, South America on March 31st, we'll have a few days of rest. And then the first week of April, we'll head to Germany. Uh, with, uh, and we'll meet up with our friends from Senegal, Compagnie Jampy. Uh, it's a troupe, a wonderful, fantastic dance company based in Senegal of seven male dancers, African uh, dance company. And we, of course, are seven females. So it's uh, seven strong men and seven strong women meeting up together in a collaboration that toured the United States in 2008 called uh, Scales of Memory. I won't try the French for you, it's very bad, my <laughs> French. Um, okay.
1: No worse so, than mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we will head to uh, Germany and then uh, we'll be in, in Europe through the end of May, uh, traveling through uh, France and Luxembourg and Spain and ending um we hope in paris uh uh at for a uh, potential performance for unesco mhm
1: my goodness and uh, and you're not taking your favorite travel radio show because <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we will tune into you from there. (laughs) Oh, that was that was a nice, smooth, uh, diplomatic answer.
0: (laughs) Well, with the Olympics and everything else you guys have going on, I I figured your schedule is probably pretty packed.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, my dear, you're still my friend. (laughs) You know, as Ian and I um, have been remarking uh, a lot, you know, the, the people that we've had on our show even before we really defined. What our show is about uh, have been people like ourselves who have transitioned, Um, you know, for us, lawyers turn travel broadcasters and your career path has really taken some interesting twists and turns. You know, you've been in politics, uh, Mm -hmm. crisis management for companies like Nike television production, marketing, and now you're in non-profits art management. Do you, how does that happen, and, and do you feel you've really come full circle?
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I, my first job was on Capitol Hill, so I was thinking about that yesterday in Washington, D.C., that I have come full circle. I, you know, my three great loves are arts, politics, and media. And, you know, with this tour to South America, all three are coming into play. <laughs> mm-hmm. All three will be required um, and all three are, are merging and uh, just forming a beautiful um, opportunity for for me and for our company so it it really seems um, uh, fortuitous that that you know my path has led me here, and uh, that you know this the loves I have of the arts uh, politics and and of media uh, just are are serving me and our and our company well.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy for you as as one for from one transitionist to uh, to another. And real quickly before we go, um, you guys are traveling so much, but are there opportunities for people to see Urban Bushwomen here in this country? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just curious. Uh, yes. Well, please visit urbanbushwomen.org. dot uh, org. We actually are uh, quite excited because we're we'll be launching a new website here shortly. Uh, but our tour dates are always up there. Uh, as I, uh, as I just said, our first six months are, are spent uh, pretty much overseas. So uh, we will be doing our summer leadership institute uh, at the end of July in New Orleans, and that information is on our website too. And we encourage everyone to apply for that. You do not have to be a dancer; it's really a fantastic, um, unique opportunity uh, to grow uh, as a prof- personally and professionally, regardless of whether you're an artist. Um, And then after that, uh, we will be doing some residencies in uh, the United States uh, in September. And uh, October, November, and December, we've got a few good things cooking, but uh, uh, nothing right now that I can confirm with you
1: okay well you, you uh, can come back to the show and uh, and, uh, and and share the good news because I, I know it will be great news
0: well thank you so much Tony and Ian. really appreciate it
1: well Jana LaSort, the executive director of Urban Bushwomen and she joins us today before they uh, they hit the airways yeah. <laughs> safe travels <laughs> to you my dear
0: thank you so much
2: When we come back, we'll be speaking to the remarkable Kat Cora, the first and only female iron chef and founder of Chefs for Humanity. You're listening to the Traveling On Radio Show, and we'll see you after this break.
1: Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross.
2: Ron Garrett is on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack.
1: Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life.
2: When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life.
1: Starting with your own.
2: Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Green, green, green.
1: It's your
4: home, it's your dream. Is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green,
1: green, green. A message from the US EPA
0: with great privilege comes great responsibility. Carter Fleming, Community Center Volunteer. The giving spirit is as passionate in the boomers today as it was in our 20s, and we as a generation can still impact our country. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit
2: www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service on this station.
1: Now, more of the Travelin' On radio show on TalkZone.com. She is the first and only female chef on the Food Network hit show Iron Chef America, and she's appeared on the NBC primetime miniseries Celebrity Cooking Showcase. But Kat Cora is much more than a rock star chef and beautiful TV personality, she's also a philanthropist and humanitarian. Following the 2004 tsunami tragedy, Kat Cora founded a nonprofit organization called Chefs for Humanity, a culinary version of Doctors Without Borders. With the recent devastation in Haiti, Chefs for Humanity, in partnership with the UN World Food Program, has launched a new campaign, One Million in One Month. And Kat joins us today to talk about Chefs for Humanity and this newest campaign and the Foundation's mission to battle worldwide hunger. Kat Cora, welcome to Traveling On.
4: Hi, Tanya. Thanks for
1: having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. And, and, you know, Ian and I are foodies, and I love to eat, so it, it's, it's truly a pleasure for me. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. Well, who doesn't? That's great. I'm so glad you guys are foodies.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, just as some background, can you kind of give us the genesis for Chefs for Humanity? I know it began with a food, uh, phone call to UNICEF.
4: Right well yes and, and you know i was uh... I, it was a phone call to unicef um, i wanted to reach out like so many people do uh... a time of crisis this is when the tsunami hit in asia and um, to ask them what i could do to help and they said you know look if you can just you know um... get out there and let people know all your contacts know your chef friends what we're doing um, that would be great and that's what i did and i just got an overwhelming amount of calls from chefs and culinary personalities who just wanted to know what they could do. Could they go over there? Could they roll up their sleeves? Could they cook for people? And it just rem- it just really made me realize that there was not a specific organization like A Doctors Without Borders for culinary personalities and chefs. And that's why I created, I went about creating right away, Chefs for Humanity. Now, so t- that's how we got started.
2: Now, Kat, tell us about some of the chefs you assembled for the first relief effort.
4: Well, we had Ming Tsai, we had Tyler Florence, we had uh, several other personalities that were helping that were, you know, Food Network, they were just, you know, a lot of the personalities anybody could think of at Food Network was really just, you know, supporting us, whether it was by, you know, putting the word out of what what Chester Humanity was doing or financially donating, uh, making phone calls to their contacts. But it just kind of grew like wildfire. We had a lot of food network personalities coming over and executives from Food Network to help cook and uh, when Katrina happened uh, that was we weren't even a year old we were really uh, a young organization, but we were there uh, in Mississippi and we were feeding five thousand people a day so that was really kind of uh, putting us right into the to the frying pan right away. so um, you know we uh, you know, we mobilized uh, many people and got over there and, and uh, did our emergency feeding relief program for, like I said, five 6,000 people a day.
1: My goodness. And, and now, uh, because of the, the recent tragedy in, in Haiti, um, again, Chefs for Humanity has, has mobilized and, and you're doing some, some work down there. And you started this new campaign, One Million in One Month. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: Right, $1 million in one month. Um, you know, we couldn't, and right when uh, the tragedy, the earthquake hit Haiti, um, and even now, it's really, uh, it's not a safe place to be for, for volunteers. I mean, really, only emergency aid workers are there right now. So we really had to be strategic and smart about what was going to be our first move. And the obvious uh, thing was to, to do a fundraiser. And so what I did we we launched, my team and I launched 1million1month.org, 1 one um, and we began um, an online fundraiser uh, that we launched on the Bonnie Hunt Show and several other shows, um, and uh, we went about you know raising a one million in one month. So that's what we're, our goal is to, to reach that. And all one hundred percent of the proceeds goes to uh, the World Food Program. Um, I'm covering all the costs of the fundraiser, so none of the money that people donate is coming out of uh, to cover the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also put down ten thousand of my own money to, to kick it off, and uh, so we're you know we were getting donations in, and uh, it's been great. And we've really seen a, you know trying to galvanize the culinary community, and also just foodies. You don't have to be a chef; you don't have to be a culinary personality to donate and to help Chester Humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody is welcome. Anybody and everybody is welcome. So, um, we're we're just getting people, you know, from all over the place that are donating and and offering their help and support. So that's been fantastic. And of course,
1: I'm assuming that that um, our listeners can go to your website, ChefsForHumanity.org, um, right. to to contribute And any any donation, any amount is uh, is acceptable. You, you know, you don't have to Absolutely. if you don't have it you know donate ten thousand dollars and not you know not everyone he has has that uh to uh to to offer it at one
4: absolutely no this you know yes you know we're taking you know five dollars you know ten dollars twenty dollars i mean you just give what you can that's all you know that's all we're asking and again a hundred percent of the proceeds go to the world food hunger uh, world food program and they are on the ground now feeding people in haiti and sending food and I went to Nicaragua and Honduras with the World Food Program, so I've seen, their, or I've seen them in action. I've seen what they're doing, and it's amazing work that they do. So, um, you know, they're such a fantastic organization um, that we're right there in Haiti right away. So, mm-hmm. you know, your your donation is definitely going directly to the people of Haiti.
2: Now Kat, you uh, mentioned about the uh about the partnerships uh uh with the UN and, and I also know you're you've done some work with the mustard seed project in uh, Zambia. Talk to us about about some of these partners and some of the travels you've taken.
4: Well yeah, we definitely um you know, one of our big our, obviously our biggest partner right now is the World Food Program and but we definitely we've I've done many fundraisers for uh you know, for hunger. So whether it's the Mustard Seed um, organization or others, I mean, we've done, you know, I just, my, one of my biggest goals for Chefs for Humanity is to, you know, help be a part of ending world hunger, and that's what we're trying to do, you know, one event at a time, one fundraiser at a time, one dollar at a time. And um, so uh, we participate all year through Chefs for Humanity and fundraisers for hunger initiatives, um, whether it's an appearance, whether it's a book signing, whether it's cooking, uh, you know, whatever I can do to help be a part of that. Um, you know, I just want to give back. I mean, you know, I, I feel so blessed in my career, and I really just want to give back um, what I can, and I know ever, a lot of people out there, a lot of your listeners probably feel that way, and um, so this is my way of giving back, of starting Chester Humanity, and um and we do you know our 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 mission is uh, emergency feeding relief and crisis and hunger initiatives. Mm-hmm. So that's our our main goal and um you know I've worked with Feeding America through Macy's uh Share Our Strength I've done um some work with. So you know we're not only about global hunger we're about domestic hunger as well because we definitely uh need aid here in the US. So mm-hmm. um you know we're we are an, a global and domestic organization,
1: and and I know as part of your um, uh, part of your mission with uh, chefs for humanity. I mean, there's an educational component as well, and so you actually, in addition to providing uh, emergency. Um, food relief. Uh, you also educate, and and you mentioned you know your work domestically. And I know here in this country, there there is a, an obesity epidemic, uh, particularly among children. Uh, how involved are you in, in that in in educating um, children uh, domestically about nutritional, um, you know, the importance of nutritional guidelines?
4: Well, I mean, we're very involved in it. We really um, we have a curriculum that we're trying to create through Chefster Humanity called Every Kid Can, and it really is about teaching people, you know, children, but not only just children, but their parents as well. Is educating because it really is a family affair. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, the parents are you know grocery shopping, cooking the meals. Um, the kids, you know, we're we're teaching both the parents and the children about nutrition about eating, you know, nutritional uh, foods, but also eating, you know, teaching them about how to cook uh, delicious meals that are nutritious. So, um, you know, that's one of our biggest goals as well. You know, that's probably our third-tier goal is, uh, you know, really about, you know, uh, teaching nutritional education to children and parents um, throughout the U.S. because we do have an obesity epidemic, and um, we want to be a part of of that um, process, too, and that project is, is helping... Educate people. I've, I've done some uh, shows through Disney World uh, with parents and children and cooking um, called What's Cooking with Cat Cora. Um, and it was all about teaching parents and their children together. We all cook together as a group and teaching them about how to cook delicious meals that are nutritious and how to shop. And how, you know, I just did a uh, show last year with Oprah about how uh, to go into parent, you know, to, I went into a family's home and, and went to the grocery store with the family and cooked with the family, a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner, and really spent time with them, was really immersed in their home to teach them how to eat more nutritionally, but also to eat delicious, wholesome food. Um, So it was a really great show that we did about, it was really geared towards uh, the epidemic of of obesity, but also nutritional eating uh, in families.
1: Well, you know, you're always welcome in the Fitzpatrick household, too.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We may do that. We may drop in on you.
3: Well, please I'm, I'm do.
4: I'm really good at going through people's pantry and refrigerator and making delicious meals out of oh, whatever bless. you have on hand.
2: Well, well, I have to tell you, uh, <laughs> since uh, Thanksgiving, we have we have cleaned up our act, and uh, you know, we have been uh, we've
1: lost weight over the holidays. We have
2: actually lost weight <laughs> we and yeah. eating healthier. It's 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 been great, and so uh, and so. Hopefully, you would feel good about coming into our kitchen and seeing what we have. Cat. Uh, wanted to get a sense of some of the upcoming events and outreach and educational things that chefs will be pursuing with the public and at the grassroots level.
4: Well, I think right now what we're doing is we're working with the World Food Program and um, a couple of other organizations, domestic organizations, to uh, raise money. Obviously, one of the top of mind things is raising money for Haiti. And so how we can come together and galvanize the culinary community. Um, and uh, And do something on a monumental level, um, so something that 's you know um, you know whether it 's a a, a telephone whether it 's you know uh, a big uh, events that we do that we galvanize um, you know all the culinary industry, not just the celebrity chefs, obviously they 'd be a big part of it, but also you know all the chefs and culinary personalities and uh, that are throughout the u s and how can we bring that community together mm-hmm. um, i 've always said you know. Uh, I was actually at uh, invited, um, Chefs of Humanity and myself were invited to the George Clooney telethon that just happened, and so I was actually in the room answering, in Los Angeles, answering phones with 200, you know, I was the only chef, but I was with 200, uh, you know, A-list celebrities that were just, basically just dropped everything and, and came and, you know, galvanized and came together and united to raise money for Haiti, and that's what my goal is, to do with the culinary community is to really bring everybody together for the cause. And um, uh, so that's one of my biggest goals that we're working on right now. That's really what's happening now. Um, And also, you know, we're going to have this is going to be the rebuilding of Haiti is going to be ongoing. So we're going to have many fundraisers down the road, many uh, projects. And, again, we have a lot of uh, of other events that are going to be happening and fundraisers for, for hunger in the U.S., uh, there's other countries as well that um you know are in desperate need of food um you know so we're we're we have our hands full, but you know it's the most rewarding thing I do um so we're we're very excited about it, and I think our partners are you know we're we're getting a group together that are going to be great partners that are going to really be able to galvanize the the culinary community and bring people together and unite everyone so that 's my goal for the coming years so that when something you know this tragedy happens uh something like this happens that we're we're prepared and we yes. can we can come together
1: well, bless you, and I, I know you know we're trying to do our our part in our little corner of the world here in a, in, in our That's nation's right. capital. So uh, we're more than happy to uh, to to assist you in your efforts to to get the world out. Because as you mentioned, this is going to be an ongoing effort, and um, the need never ends. There's just so much need out there, right? Uh, and Absolutely. Uh, you know. I think, uh, and, and we we've been we've been blessed as well, and and uh, we choose to use our show um, for uh, to create some positive leg- legacies and leave positive footprints. So, um, I want to I want to kind of circle back, and well, we never really got a chance to talk about does you you you're. Upbringing um, and the influences on your life, um, uh, and your mentor uh, mentorship by Julia Childs. I mean that that's a very interesting mix. Tell tell us about some of the you, you know your influences. What it was like to be a mentor of, of the Julia Childs. Good grief, um, and. Uh, well, and
4: yeah, she was, you know, the thing is, I mean, everything you see about Julia it was true. I mean, she was just someone who was bigger than life. She was the most gracious person you, you could ever meet. Um, she gave back so much to young chefs and, and to young people interested in food. Um, you know, she remembered where she came from and how she started, and, and that never, she never forgot that, which was great about her. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, to spend time in her home in Cambridge when they, she was shooting one of her Master Chef series, um, so I got the chance to spend the day with her in her home in Cambridge. Um, you know, I met her, uh, first met her at a book signing that she came to in Natchez, Mississippi. And, um, you know, I just had to be there. And, and she actually took time out, you know, from her. I know they had her on a really busy schedule. I can understand that now in my career, how when you're, when you're on a book tour that, you know, you're on a tight schedule. But she, you know, she actually you know, took time, you know, like 40, 45 minutes with me and just, you know, answered every question, had me sit down with her, anything she could do. I mean, and so I was able to tell her the next time I saw her that, you know, where I'd gone, you know, I had, she had said, you know, you really should go to the Culinary Institute of America, the Harvard of Culinary Schools, and I did, you know, I applied actually the next day. And um, you know, I was able to come back around and say, you know, I'm I'm about to graduate. You told me this is where I should go, and now I'm graduating. Yeah. So um, it was just a really, it's just re- the the times that I was able to spend time with her and meet her. It was really cool, and um, I've never forgotten that. And so I always pay it forward to other young chefs, people who you know want need time to to ask questions. You know, no matter what my schedule's like, I answer, you know, every question. I sign every single autograph. I take every single picture, and I won't leave until that's done. So, you know, um, I just really believe in that.
3: Hmm.
2: Now, Kat, uh, how would you describe your style of cooking and some of those influences uh, on your style?
4: Well, I, you know, before I became an Iron Chef, I would say it was very Mediterranean. I still think that. You know, I trained, I trained in France. Um, I, you know, I'm Greek, uh, you know, Greek-American. i uh, spent time in Italy, Spain. Um, I love African food and Moroccan food. So, I mean, I, I think for me, it really, those are some of the flavors that I love more than, mm-hmm. more than anything. But I also think since I've become uh, an Iron Chef, I've really experimented a lot with different cuisines. And so I would say that a lot of my style now is very global. Mm-hmm. So I like, you know, I love... To, uh, to cook, you know, one one event, it might be, you know, uh, a lot of times now, right now, I just open a restaurant, uh, Cuisina at Walt Disney World, so uh, Cuisina by Cat Cora, uh, right on the boardwalk in Orlando, the Disney World Resorts, and so a lot of what I do now is is very focused on bringing awareness to the restaurant, so, but I love to cook Asian, I love to cook um, you know, African cuisines. I mm-hmm. love, I just, you know, I, I love food. So uh, there's really no cuisine that I don't, I don't love to to learn about.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of new projects, I know you mentioned the, the uh, restaurant you just opened uh, in Disney, but uh, a little birdie told me you also have a new book coming out soon. Tell us about uh, that and its release date.
4: Well, it's going to be released in June, um, and I'll, go, I'll be on book tour this summer. And uh, we're very excited about it. It's my third book. It's called Cat Cora's, uh Cooking, um, Cooking with a Twist. And uh, excuse me, Classics with a Twist. I don't even know my own book. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so
4: much uh, trying to squeeze into my head right now. Uh, Classics with a Twist. And this book is really, like all my books, what I like to do is because I do have a very classic background in cooking, you know, trained in, you know, three star Michelin restaurants in France and, and other in New York City and things, what I like to do is I love to bring classics to people, but I love to gear them for the home chef. Someone, you know, so that it's not so intimidating and not so daunting, you know, to make a beef wellington. Instead I, I make, you know, in in the book and we're gonna do a chicken wellington, which is soup I make it super easy. And but you can still have a classic, and something that's a little fancier, but it is very very easy, and you can you know cook it really quickly. So things like that I love to do. Um, I did in my last book, um, uh, I did a um, uh, cooking from the hip, uh, a watermelon despacho, which is classically a tomato base, but I did it with watermelon puree. And oh yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, so all of those classics I love to bring um, you know to the table for people that. You know, gear for the home chef, gear for the home kitchen. Um, you know, so that they can take, they can, and it's all always nutritious and healthy. Um, that's one of my big platforms is, is obviously healthy eating. So um, I also take some of these classics that might be a little richer and make them healthier, lighter, easier, quicker. Um, so that's really, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really one of my strong points is being able to to take classic dishes and make them healthier and lighter and
1: and easy. Well, Kat Cora, Iron Chef, author, businesswoman, founder of Chefs for Humanity, and many other titles.
2: The list goes on. (laughs) Yeah, the
1: list does go on. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all you're doing to give back. We appreciate you joining us.
4: Well, thank you so much for having me, and 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 you know, again, your listeners can go to one month, uh, one million one month dot org, one million one month dot org, or chesterhumanity dot org. So, thank you so much.
1: Oh, it's our pleasure, Kat. When we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Tommy Clark, executive director of Grassroots Soccer, and we'll learn about the remarkable work that this nonprofit organization is doing in South Africa. You're listening to the Traveling On Radio Show, and we look forward to welcoming you back on the other side of this break. This is
2: President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge. When we see people serving their country and one another. Volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements. Along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from
1: Renew America Together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is the Traveling On Radio Show, bringing you a world of travel news and information. Once again, let's join your hosts,
2: Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Following the Winter Olympics, the world will turn its attention to the sport of soccer and South Africa, the host country for the 2010 World Cup, and our next guest is using the sport of soccer to do some good in communities in South Africa. Dr. Tommy Clark is a pediatrician and the executive director of Grassroots Soccer, a nonprofit organization that uses the power of soccer to educate, inspire, and mobilize communities to stop the spread of HIV. Born in Scotland where his dad played for the Scottish national team, Tommy moved to Zimbabwe at age 14. After playing soccer at Dartmouth College here in the States, he returned to Zimbabwe to teach English and play professional soccer. And after several years of playing soccer, Tommy returned to the U.S. where he enrolled in Dartmouth's medical school. But it was his time in Zimbabwe that inspired him to found grassroots soccer. And he joins us to talk about his mission, impact, and activities during the World Cup. Tommy, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: This mission of grassroots soccer is so amazing to me, and I've always had a passion for soccer, and, and I like how the soccer ball really creates global ambassadors and creates a way to tie all of us together. Talk about your mission to use soccer to help to stop the spread of HIV in sub-Saharan Africa.
3: A um, couple of things, I think. One, one for me was uh, just what you, what you just referred to, sort of soccer as this um, cultural glue mm-hmm. or you know, kind of a brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever whatever you want to call it, sort of a something that kind of binds people together. And from my point of view, I, I grew up, I was in four different high schools and four different years and three different continents. Um, so a lot of moving around. Um, my, my father, was, as, as you mentioned, was a soccer player and then was a soccer coach. And um, and, and really, you know, I found going from place to place um, remarkably easy. And the reason was because I played soccer and I had a shared shared passion and obviously music and other things can do that as well but mm-hmm. soccer is a, is is a pretty good one um so i think you know in, in in one sense that was the that was the idea and then having played there the thing that i um, the thing that i noticed and and, and sort of was uh, was remarkable was how popular the sport and the heroes were and also how accessible they were there there were the people that i knew that i hung around with that i trained with and played with and uh and uh the, the sort of the the, the concept that that uh, you know famous people or people that have uh social or cultural currency um c- can be important in change, changing uh, people's behavior and we know that in, from advertising and the you know how how advertisers or companies like to affiliate themselves with certain athletes or musicians or what have you and so the same idea that we could use we could use star power and uh famous mm-hmm. soccer players to uh to make something that wasn't as, wasn't spoken about, and you know, was something that was was a, was a silent topic, uh, HIV, to to to, uh, to bring that out into the open, mm-hmm. and uh, to kind of create a, a good environment for, for, for an educational program.
1: No, what exactly do you do with grassroots soccer? Talk about some of the the programs and and you know and, and I'll, I'll I'll say just from listening to you I'm I'm really impressed with how cohesive the community of soccer is. Um you know I, I see that sometimes as a traveler as a, as a scuba diver, you know, we're kind of a we're yep. kind of a unique little group of, of people and um but soccer I I didn't realize how cohesive uh, that group is. Um, and, uh, and so I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about that and just some of the work that you're doing uh, with grassroots soccer
3: yeah no I mean I think in soccer right you know you're, you're always competing against somebody else but ultimately the game ends and and, and, uh, and, and people are sort of uh, you know kind of come together in, 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 you know, in a positive way um, in terms of the activities and what what, what the program looks like um, you know it's a, it's a really a game based uh, it's an activity based curriculum and uh, it's sort of the you know the hopefully the funnest class these kids will have ever uh, they're used to a much more didactic style of education where they sit and the teacher lectures um, and they they write down and they take an exam at the end of the year and uh, so this this is generally uh, inside and outside they're on their feet they're, they're they're involved in activities the activities encourage discussion encourage them to think um, you know one one of I could, there, there's about there's many activities but say uh, a typical curriculum would be twelve mm-hmm. um, but one of the one of the activities would be um, is uh, it's called factor nonsense so it's a uh, just really quickly, it's, it's kind of a quiz. It's you, you know the, 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 there's teams, uh, maybe teams of four or five, and there's a it's, it's, a, it's a quiz show, and the you, you, you know the the person in charge, the facilitator, asks a question, and the kids will talk about it in their small groups. And so you start off with easy questions that are not related to sex or HIV or anything difficult, um, and the, so the kids get in the habit of competing with each other, and it's a competition, and uh, and then gradually as the competition goes on, and, the, and you've kind of established that it's a it's a competitive environment that there's people are discussing, and that's way to get the answers and you start putting in harder and harder questions and people start talking about some of the challenging questions around HIV hmm. um but that would be sort of an example. You know, another example is that uh, there's a soccer drill where you dribble in and out of cones, and um, and so they, we again, it's a, it's a team environment. There's teams. that are competing. They're racing in and out of the cones. They're they're trying to be the first team to all go through the cones and sit down, and that team wins. Mm-hmm. But then um, we start changing the game a little bit. It's, that game is called Risk Field, and we we say uh, you know if you, if you go in and out of a if you, if you hit the first cone, you know we, we ask the kids what are the risks that the kids your age face. We talk about you know alcohol. I talk about sugar daddies, girls having partners that are five or more. More years older than them having uh, overlapping partners um, you know, not using protection when you have sex, so you start creating all these. And if you hit the cone, you have to do a push-up. Um, and then we talk about well, in, you know, uh, the second time we play or the third time we play, we'll say, you know, with HIV, who, who's affected? And they say, well, it's not just uh, you know, they all have their, they all tell their stories. Well, it's not just the person who gets HIV; it's it's their family. Everybody else gets affected as well. They have to care for them. They're extremely sad when when their brother or their sister or their son or daughter or their father or mother die, and and, uh, and, and so they start. So so now instead of doing a push-up. When someone hits the cone, uh, the whole team has to do a push-up. And then we talk about, well, what about the community? Is it just the family that is affected? Well, no, actually, the whole community is in fact. You just look around you and see the devastation of HIV. So this time, it kind of goes from this very sort of uh, helter-skelter game where everyone's just dribbling in out of the cones till the end, where if anyone on any of the teams hits a cone, the whole, all, everyone has to drop and do a push-up because it's representing the whole community being, being impacted by HIV. Huh. So it's a really fun game, and it's a competition, but, but uh, by the end of it, the game is so different, and the kid's perspective of HIV and how it impacts the whole community is very very different, and they've had many conversations about it. So those the games take a little bit long to explain. They're really wonderful activities, and they're really great at getting kids thinking, thinking about taking action as well.
2: Yeah, what I find interesting about this is that you use soccer to create the commons, and then through these games and through soccer, you're able to have these conversations and start that dialogue. Talk about some of the things you've got to overcome with the younger people that you deal with in the program in order to deliver the life-saving message.
3: First thing to overcome is just sheer number mm-hmm. of young people in Africa and the sheer number of young people at risk. So I think scale is probably one of the the most challenging things and the things that I think most about, uh, that's sort of from more of a macro level. So I think on a day-to-day basis, uh, it depends country to country. In Zimbabwe, one of the big challenges is getting gas, um, you know, for, from from our team's point of view is getting gas so we can get to, uh, to the schools to work with the kids. Um, you know, from the kids' point of view, um, these are kids talking about a really charged topic, something that's highly stigmatized, and they've had, certainly had people in their, their immediate family who have, uh, who've, you know, contracted HIV, died from it. So it's for, for the kids themselves it's a very emotional, difficult topic. From our point of view, it's challenging in terms of uh, gas and sort of from the higher, the organization's point of view, our goal is to educate a million kids. From our point of view, it's trying to think, well, how do we make sure this program gets to as many at-risk kids as we can?
1: Your impact, I know, has been tremendous. You, you've had more than 300,000 graduates uh, in over 18 countries, and uh, and you're, you're growing. And um, I'm curious. Within those 18 countries, does uh, are you active in the United States? I know you're based here in and South Africa, but I'm just wondering what programs, if you offer these programs in the U.S. as well?
3: We don't. We don't. Uh, and the reason we don't is just the the magnitude of the the, the epidemic in, in in Southern and Eastern Africa is, is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, that's um, we understand the epidemic and the key drivers. I mean, HIV is sort of multi, multi you know. Many, uh, you know, epidemics kind of put together, and the, the 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 key drivers of the epidemic are different in different populations in different places, and so our our program is really really designed to, uh, you know, we understand even even from Zimbabwe to Botswana, or from, you know, Matabeli land to Shona land in Zimbabwe, it's it's different. There's it's it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same epidemic. So we're really really focused on Africa because we understand the African context. We know soccer has huge value there. And because HIV is such an enormous problem, mm-hmm. we do have a uh, um, one of our our uh, the, the, the interns who gra- who worked for us, uh, an American-based intern, uh, uh, Tyler, um, has started a program in D.C. Obviously, D.C. is uh, has has a big HIV problem, mm-hmm. uh, with you know prevalence in some populations in D.C. You know, mm-hmm. I think around four or five percent, which is really terrible. And So Tyler's we using the similar grassroots soccer model game based um, you know using athletes and role models going in and working with with young people um, so so we we do have some spinoff spin-off okay. project in uh, in the us uh, through Tyler's work and um, but but really our our, our our focus to date is mostly we've done a little bit in in uh, Dominican Republic and um, Central America but mostly it's been been in Africa for those reasons
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We are speaking with Dr. Tommy Clark, the executive director of Grassroots Soccer. That Tommy, I'd talk to us about what some of your data is revealing about the impact of the program.
3: One of the, um, I think I've, I've got a good answer, but I think one of the challenges has been, even from when our organization started, sort of the world's understanding of the of the key drivers of HIV, certainly in in a, in a generalized epidemic, which is different than a sort of a focused uh, epidemic, like with uh, you know. Uh, sex workers or you know men who have sex with men or something like that in a generalized epidemic sort of understanding the key drivers of hiv has really been evolving and how to prevent HIV has been evolving um, very rapidly. And it's been evolving. You know, and, and the fun part for me has been paying attention to the research and the data and, 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 what, and what the learnings are and then trying to translate those very quickly into good uh, programs and messages and interventions for young people that uh, that resonate and the young people like. Um, so some of some of the things is just understanding the, that, uh, you know, the, the the epidemic is, you know, 48 times uh, incidence in, in late teenage girls is 48 times Times higher than in boys the same age, and that really with HIV is is jumping from uh, these these young women, uh, late teens, uh, uh, having uh, sex with guys that are five or more years older than them. HIV basically jumping into a new generation. So that so that so that's sort of a, a relatively new finding. Uh, you know this um, you know Helen Epstein uh, sort of popularized in her work with uh, Daniel Halperin and and others. Sort of this idea that. Uh, it, 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 one of the reasons that HIV is such a huge problem in, in in southern eastern Africa is because not because people have any more sexual partners than anywhere else, but they're, it's much more likely that they have overlapping, long-term overlapping mm-hmm. partners. And when, with HIV, the, the, the chance of spreading is very high when your viral load is high in the first six weeks. Mm-hmm. And so if you have two long-term partners, um, the chance of getting it from one partner to the other partner is pretty high. And then the the chance of that partner then having another partner is not not you know in, insignificant, and so you basically create a sort of a sexual community uh, that's really based on overlapping partners. So again, this is new information uh, that, that, that that came about you know uh, you know halfway you know, uh, so we we were listening and trying to interpret this. So th- so the, the the things that we look at in terms of impact is number of kids, mm-hmm. and in terms of uh, and then we try and look at what are the what are the differences in their behavior. So the things we look at is is uh age of age of sexual debut, so fifty percent of the new infections I think forty percent now is, is the new number, but is uh people fifteen to twenty four so if we if we uh, if we can delay people 's uh, sexual debut you know from sixteen to eighteen we 're significantly reducing the the, the, the the likelihood that they'll have HIV so we have good data showing that, we're, mm-hmm. that we can do that. Um, looking at uh, the the number of partners in in a short time frame. So, again, alluding to this overlapping partners. So, again, uh, kids that have gone through a program in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, are, I believe, it's six times less likely to have uh, overlapping partners than than a control group or a comparison group that didn't go through the program. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the things that we look at. Stigma is obviously another huge huge issue and obviously much more easy to measure, at least in in a survey. And uh, you know, we certainly you know we, we ask questions like, you know, would you be willing to support a, a classmate or a family member who was HIV? And and and, um, and obviously, I, I think what you know, we, we've seen big, big differences in, in uh, uh, I think. From, of a a class or 37% of a class to 80% Mm -hmm. would be willing to support a classmate uh, that was HIV positive.
1: You're doing wonderful work, and I know you're going to be very active during uh, the World Cup Games uh, in South Africa this year. Talk to us a little about some of the the activities you're going to have um, and also share how some of the students, and I already know this, but for the benefit of our audience, um, how some of the students that will be participating in some of your activities will actually be treated to HIV special
3: events. Yeah, I know there's some exciting things happening <laughs> for sure. From a from a fundraising point of view, you know, one of our challenges is a lot of people who support us don't get to see our programs in action. So so really any you know one of the things we're really encouraging is anyone who's going to be at the World Cup who wants to come out and see what we do in the field? Um, you know, we're really encouraging people to, to get in touch, and, and, and we'd love to be able to show people what we do. The uh, from a program point of view, we have a lot of fun stuff. We have uh, one of the one of the, the risks is that uh, or the or the challenges is that these kids have five weeks off school and um, they have a lot of time on their hands, and so w- w- which can be a bad thing when you have a lot of people coming in from elsewhere. So uh, so one of the things we're doing is we're having uh, basically a soccer camp, uh, many many soccer camps. Castro is, is funding this. Uh, in addition to just the soccer camp activities all of our education activities are embedded into uh you know so maybe you have a session on passing then you have a session on one of the activities, like I described. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so by the end of the week, the soccer camp, at the end of the week, all of the kids have graduated from the core curriculum. Um, so I think that's going to be really exciting. We're having a, a, you know, camp after camp, so it's going to be a very busy, busy time for us. And then the other thing is uh, is uh, we have, uh, from from Sony, we have tickets uh, that, that have to be, uh, to, so we're, we're, we're going to be escorting South African youth. Mm-hmm. Um, we have actually, I think, sixteen thousand tickets. But I hope people don't email and call because they're almost all for South Africa, unless they're a South African youth. So we're, we're really escorting South African youth to uh, to to, uh, to a bunch of the a bunch of the soccer games, the mm-hmm. World Cup games. So that's going to be, I think, a, a lot of logistics, but I think also a lot of fun.
1: Well, and, and incidentally, I did volunteer Ian and I to be chaperones. and
2: and we would be very happy Um, and uh, Tommy the organization Grassroots Soccer is doing some wonderful things and uh, you're making a difference and uh, changing lives and saving lives and it really transcends soccer and I think it's one of the things that just shows how sport uh, can transcend the game itself to really have a major impact on some of the great issues of our time and there's been no greater issue for the continent of Africa than HIV. And
1: oh, before before good. we go, Tommy, I'd like for you to share your website uh, too, so that uh, people can actually get involved and support you from a grassroots level.
3: Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate any support. Our email is grassrootsoccer. org, and the only tricky thing is it's grassroots singular. It's not. It's not grassroots. Grassroot. Okay.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tommy Clark, Executive Director of Grassroots Soccer. Thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you both.
1: Thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you during the week on Facebook and Twitter. So join us on our social networks and sign up for our newsletter and travel alerts at travelnradio.com. That's N as in Nancy, travelnradio.com. It's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week. Same time, same frequency. And remember, leave positive footprints and build a meaningful legacy one step at a time.